the faster we forgive and the faster we let go and help you avoid a lot of suffering, flexible people are happy people. We cannot control our circumstances, but we can control how we respond to them because contentment is really one of the most smooth vibration states. We have to get our thoughts and our behavior in alignment with being content. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey there, everyone. It's Robin Openshaw, and welcome to this episode of The Vibe Show, where today I'm going to talk about contentment. I've been thinking a lot about the state of being content, and for a number of years now, I've been trying to tap into that vibration and live there. And so I just want to talk about that today. I want to explore it with you because I think that some people are naturally very content Um, But most of us aren't. Most of us struggle with this dissatisfaction in life and it can keep us from being happy. Before I dive into it though today, I wanted to mention that last fall, I said that I was going to let followers of this podcast know first when we launched the Green Smoothie Girl Coaching Certification. Um, And what I mean by that is that I'm going to launch a program where I accept 15 coaches in North America and you fly here and we teach a class together and I train you and then I do once a month trainings and I put you on my platforms. I need some help. We have a lot of content that we want to bring forward, a lot of exciting things that we want to do. And when it comes to my Facebook platform where we have 200,000 highly engaged people, or our newsletter list where we have hundreds of thousands of people, um, or this blog, maybe you've always wanted to be a blogger. Maybe you've always wanted to be a podcaster. Maybe you like doing social media. Maybe you like doing live video. Maybe you like doing produced video. Guess what? There's There might be a place for you here at Green Smoothie Girl. If you're in alignment with, with what we do here, if you love talking about things that help people live, in the higher frequencies, um, where love and peace and joy and calmness and contentment are your daily standard. And you spend very, very little of your life in the low vibration states, such as anger, jealousy, greed. We're going to talk a little bit about those today. If you want to help more people into doing that. Here's the thing. I've spent 13 years building the platform. Would you like to step onto it? Um, and, and now I've probably led you to believe that we are now announcing that coaching program and we're not. In fact, we probably will do it about a year from now. However, I just wanted to, you know, make another, uh, make another invitation that you can go sign up so that you are the first to know. We're going to tell those who signed up here on the podcast and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I prioritize you over anyone else that I might engage with is that people who are on this podcast are the like super learners. I really believe that people who listen to this podcast, if we put this out on the podcast for one or two weeks before we tell our newsletter list, before we tell our social media, we know that in that first week or two, the applicants are going to be incredibly high quality because people who listen to podcasts are people who 
you know, do high quality things with their idle time. And I've said this before, that my theory is that the people who are most successful in life and have the, the most influence on others are the people who the big differentiators, what are you doing with your downtime? What are you doing with your brain when you are out for a jog or uh, making dinner for your family? I really think that some of the highest quality people out there are listening to podcasts that educate them, like nonfiction podcasts. And so I'm going to actually put it out there to our podcast listeners before anybody else. And I'm going to take note of it so that I know that you came from the podcast because you guys are really just our top tier um, followers who are the most plugged in and who are the most curious about health, nutrition, and wellness. And when we have the application ready to go, you know, it'll ask you things like, what are the last three books that you read about health and wellness? You know, when, when I, I often ask that when I'm hiring, you know, when, when we're hiring somebody at Green Smoothie Girl as an employee, I'm not looking for employees here. The coaches are like the people that I'm going to coach over the years to step on to be the, be the next generation of Green Smoothie Girl. You are the Green Smoothie Girl. I mean, maybe you'll be green smoothie girl number six, maybe you'll be green smoothie girl number 14, but those 15, and hey, if you're a green smoothie guy, please, I would love to have a couple green smoothie guys too, or however many, you are going to have a totally different role. Not, It's not an employee kind of a relationship, but we do need help in educating more people. We have educated millions of people. We actually have seven figures a year on the site. We've had hundreds of thousands who've participated in our programs and we have big plans, but we need you. If you are a health coach or you're just one of these people who's really drawn to not only learning more about health, wellness, nutrition, um, hacks to be healthier, that kind of thing. If you're drawn to learning about it and you're drawn to serving others, then sign up at greensmoothiegirl.com slash coaches. Okay. It's not obligating you to anything. It's not charging you any money. It's not even doing anything except that when we go to announce uh, this program, which the last few months I've really been preoccupied with it and really dreaming up what it can be so that it's a big win for you. You may not want to spend 13 years and have, you know, 35 employees to, you know, grow your reach and put an important message out there. Maybe you just want to step right on to that, that platform and bring your skills and your knowledge base and your sunshiny personality to this work that we're doing. So, you know, it's, it's tough. If I were a brand new influencer right now in 2020, things that were working 13 years ago to get the ear of people, the right people who want to hear your message, it's a way harder now. So now that we've built this platform, we, we need some really sharp um, women and and men too, if they feel so inclined. If you've really been investing in yourself and you're really curious about all these issues that I talk about all the time on this show, and you know, you've noticed that um, I've started really reaching more into the metaphysical. Okay. It's not just about, you know, recipes and what you're putting in your shopping cart and what you're putting in your mouth. There's there's so much, so much more. Um, I've I've come to believe that, for instance, the attitudes that we have. Um, for instance, today, learning to be more content and choosing into contentment, these kinds of things may be even more important than eating a whole foods, mostly plant-based diet. I did not used to believe that, but uh, reading some research and just my life experience tells me 
that becoming more loving, more peaceful people, more flexible people, people who let things go and, and, you know, don't spend a lot of our white space, a lot of our brains idle time in inculcating our stories, our stories of victimhood, our, our stories of unhappiness. I think it's the people who learn to hack their brain and stay in the high vibration zones. They're the most successful and they'll probably be the healthiest and live the longest too. So what we're talking about today is learning to be content. And ironically, I actually had to stop recording this because I've had a a hair in my eye, some kind of, I don't know if it's an eyelash or what, or a big speck of dust or whatever, but you know, I've been podcasting for about an hour already today and I have this thing in my eye and I can't stop blinking and I can't stop rubbing my eye. And so I sort of gave up. I like splashed water in my eye and had Sue look in my eye and she couldn't see anything. And I went in the bathroom and looked in the mirror multiple times and I was like, you know, I'm just going to do this podcast episode with whatever is in my eye that's making me blink. And is causing discomfort because it's the perfect exhibit A to what we're talking about today. If we can learn to be content with our circumstances, with our intimate partner, with occasional pain or suffering of some kind, you know, if we, if we can learn to be content with these kinds of things, then we're a lot less likely to find ourselves drugging it or numbing ourselves because of that pain or discomfort with you know, whatever it is, you know, people use food or they use alcohol or they use caffeine or whatever. But, you know, look at what we do in our culture when we have an unpleasant feeling, like for instance, fear and anxiety. We go to great lengths to avoid feeling any discomfort. What if we learn to be content? Now, I'm I'm not saying that I'm not going to, after the end of this, go and flush my eyes again because... I'm not saying that you should sit with all pain and discomfort. However, there's just so much to be gained. Um, Meditation is perfect for this, where instead of being that pain or discomfort, you become the space, you become the awareness, and you can focus on, oh, I have something in my eye that makes it feel like, you know, something's poking my eyeball. Um, What does it feel like? And you get very, very detailed about the feeling that you're having. And the more you do this in both mindfulness and meditation practices, which are two different things, but very related, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that, then you become less attached to that emotion or to that feeling of discomfort. And you see it as a thing external to you, and you see it as a thing that you are experiencing, but that is going to pass through, you know, like a cloud, you know, if you were a kid lying in the grass or grown up lying in the grass and you're watching the clouds pass by, when you start to think of a feeling as a cloud that's passing by, then you don't, you don't need to anchor yourself to it. It's just a cloud passing by. It's not even going to be there for all that long. You can just be curious about it. What is the shape of that cloud passing through? So some of the things that I have really struggled with when it comes to contentment is, I mean, you know, a lot of people in our culture today, the vast majority have anxiety, anywhere from moderate to extreme anxiety. People have a lot of 
discomfort or dissatisfaction with their budget. For me, probably the, the toughest things is that I become very distracted and I become less content when someone is unhappy with me. For some reason, for many, many years, I thought that everyone had to like me and everyone had to approve of me. And I would just lose my happiness for days at a time if someone was upset with me. And I've made a lot of progress in letting go of that. And the other thing is, and I think we all struggle with this, I honestly feel like it's the number one thing that we have to learn in this lifetime is when someone has wronged us. I think the faster we forgive and the faster we let go and with more ease and more completeness, when we let go of needing to talk to others about and repeat our story and hard code our story of how we were wronged, you know, the, the less we can do of that and, and, and not allow it to become part of our identity and the way, the way that we identify ourselves to the world is that I was wronged by my, I was an abused child. I was a, and th- this is no criticism to anybody who had a childhood of trauma. I, I certainly did too. And if you've listened to all 200 episodes here on the Vibe Show, you've probably heard me mention that. But do you see it as part of my identity? Do you see me bringing that into a lot of conversations? When it comes into our conversations a lot, it doesn't make us a bad person. It just means there's some stuff to let go of there. There, there, is some, there are some stuck energies and they're probably holding us back. And that's really the reason why we want to become more content or we want to become more aware of how content we are or how dissatisfied or discontented that we are. Because and I know you've heard this a hundred times in your life. We cannot control our circumstances, but we can control how we respond to them. And if you've heard that a hundred times, but you don't have, you know, five to 10 different methods or little hacks that you can engage to get yourself out of the low vibration, to get yourself out of uh, anger or uh, jealousy or uh, greed Okay. Nobody thinks they have greed, but if you're really honest with yourself and you take a look at the things that you want that you don't have, are they keeping you from being content? This is one of the major uh, reasons for, for not being contented. And the crazy thing is when you look at those studies of who the people are who are happiest all over the world, um, it is culturally, it's some of the poorest people in the world who are the happiest. And some of the wealthiest people in the world are the least happy. And that's not because money makes you miserable. It's because there are cultures of the world where having things and comparing to each other for what things that we have and don't have, there's more or less of that in different cultures. And I'll tell you what, if you live in North America, and I think most of you do, um, we live in a culture that does more comparing, that, is, that encourages, almost encourages jealousy and comparing what we have or what we have become, or what we've accomplished to other people, um, more than the vast majority of other cultures. So those are some of the reasons why we might want to become aware of, on the scale of one to 10, how content are you with your life is, you know, maybe we should ask the question, in order to become content, do we also have to stop striving? Do we have to, do we have to settle? Do we just have to settle for these these poor circumstances that we're in. And, and, you know, my answer to that would be, you know, do we have to stop striving to be content? I think the answer to that is kind of yes and no. 
Um, I remember once I was trying to make this uh, business trip to New York happen. And I was trying to get into this trade show to do this thing. And a whole bunch of things had to come together. And I was trying and trying and trying. And I was just running into a brick wall everywhere. And a, a man who was in my life at that time said, you know, if you, Robin, do you ever ask yourself if you have to try this hard, if maybe it wasn't meant to be? And when he said that to me, I had to really sit with that for a while to even have an answer. And the answer was clearly no, I've never thought of that. I literally had never considered that if something is very, very hard and I'm hitting brick walls everywhere, that maybe I should let it go. But that was a, a life-changing thing that he said to me. You know, I'm sure he doesn't at all remember saying that to me, but it it helped me to have permission to let go of something, something I was striving for. Now, probably not everybody needs to be given permission to stop striving so hard, but I'm one of those people who from the time I was a child, it would have been really nice if I'd had somebody in my life who would tell me, you don't have to worry about that so much. You can drop that. So I'm really grateful for the question that gentleman asked me probably about 25 years ago, because I've become increasingly aware to ask myself a question when a project that I'm working on is just harder than it should be. And I'm just slogging uphill. So another thing that I've been aware of is that I often trade some of my contentment or the peace in my life for too much striving. So, you know, yeah, maybe less striving is the answer for people like me. And I've actually worked fewer hours and done fewer uphill slogs in recent years. And I've become a lot more uh, happy, peaceful, content. Because contentment is really one of the the most smooth vibration states, which we I think we all want more of it. I mean, when I take a look at the complaints of people who feel like they're in a significant to an excessive amount of stress, it's the vast majority of us. So we have to get our thoughts and our behavior in alignment with being content. There's this Buddhist principle of doku. And by the way, a little aside about Buddhism, if you haven't really studied it, you know, if you get deep into mindfulness and meditation, it's unlikely that you're going to avoid some Buddhist philosophy. But for those of you who don't know anything about it, I get um, really yelled at on Facebook if I if I bring it up. And I want to point out that uh, many Christians feel that uh, principles of Buddhism helps them be a better Christian. Um, it's not a religion. That's the thing people have to understand. Uh, Buddhism is a set of tenets um, and a and a practice. It's a sort of a spiritual practice, but it's not at all a religion. It's not in competition with um, whatever your religious faith is. But there's a a principle of Buddhism called doku, and it's that a f- a fact of being human, a very key component of being human and having the human experience, is this unsatisfactoriness of life. So, you know, it's very normal to feel discontented. And then you have been plopped into, you know, this North American culture where it's so encouraged to be dissatisfied. You need a bigger house. That's like the way of things is you keep buying a bigger house every few years and you need a bigger paycheck. And most people complain about their spouse. They, you know, they talk to others about that he's not good enough 
or she's not good enough in some way, in some way. And when we start to give that energy, guess what? It gets bigger. That's, that's the problem um, with that. And, and I've been, I've been working on this the last few years and I've, I'm, I'm really dedicating my 2020 to being less of a striver. And there's nothing wrong with being a striver like I have been my whole life. But when striving is making me discontented, then, then we have a problem. And so I think I'm going to get a mindfulness expert on here to do a session. Um, my assistant reached out to Dr. Mark Musi of Harvard. He has, well, I don't know if he's of Harvard, but he has a Harvard PhD. And years ago I took his mindfulness courses on great courses and I really like it. We'll put a link in the show notes to it. Um, I think I spent like 35 bucks on it or something like that. And, and my good friend, Matthew, that I often, often talk about on this show had told me to go take it. And whenever he tells me to do something, I just go do it. I've, I've never been sorry yet. And, um, it's, it's a, about 12 hours and probably 15 or 20 different, uh, little segments. But in one of them, he does a mindfulness exercise with peeling a tangerine. And it's amazing how granular he gets and the, all of the senses that he helps you feel. And, you know, when I went through that exercise, I thought, oh my gosh, there's so much pleasure I have not had in life because I didn't eat my tangerine so mindfully. And it just made me aware of awareness. And it, it helped me realize that if I slow down and notice every little thing, instead of being in such a hurry, that there's a lot of contentment to be had in life. I think that this has been on my mind because I probably have had a, some version of a dream a hundred times in the last several years. I've probably had at least a hundred times a dream, something to do with moving, packing, and building a house, especially building a house. And the dream is always different, but it, it just is become so repetitive. It's almost a joke. I even went to one of my employees's, um, I don't know if she would call herself a dream analyst, but she studied a lot of Jungian and Freudian philosophy and dream analyst theory. And I've, I've even taken it to her and I'm like, why am I always building a house? And I think the really obvious reason is that I've moved five times in the last six years. Um, and you know, then when I moved here to park city, I spent the first year that I lived here looking for my forever house. And I was looking for very specific things. And I was, I was thinking through where have I been the happiest? What's the house that I've been the absolute happiest in. So I kind of had an idea of what size and I definitely knew that I wanted a ranch style house. I didn't want an upstairs and a, and a basement and a main floor. I just wanted the main floor in the basement and I wanted my office on the main floor because my office is such a big part of my life. My work and my life are very fluid. They're, they're very much one in the same. When I'm living life and having life experiences, it tends to show up in my content and in my work. And so I spent a year looking for a house. And while that felt like kind of a necessary thing, because the place that I bought and moved into here in Park City when I first moved here was definitely not a place I wanted to live long term. I did not like having a cold basement um, office. That was probably my number one issue with it. I also didn't, didn't feel like I wanted to live in a condo long term. So that year that I spent looking it made me realize that I was discontented that whole year. I knew I wasn't in a house where I could be grounded and really plan for the future and really just 
move in and hang the art on the walls and and enjoy this being, you know, my habitat. So um, I have felt much more sense of peace and groundedness since moving into this house that I could live in forever. I mean, this house is, it's strange. There's a theater in the basement that, you know, was designed to look like the Park City Silver Mine. And that's, you know, that's kind of weird. That's not something I would have done. There's little bears hanging all over the front of the house. It's very cute. It's very cute, but there's just bears everywhere. There's bears inside too. Um, there's gray um, tile, which I would have never put. There's gray tile in my master bathroom. Gray is my least favorite color. I'm not attracted to it at all. It's not like this is a perfect house is my point, but I love it here so much. It feels like home. I really love just about, just about everything like it. It's like, it's like the total Goldilocks house for me. It's not too big. It's not too small. And I've lived in too big and too small, but you know what? I also had an amazing year that first year that I lived in not the quite right place. It was probably my favorite year of my life so far. So that's good indication that I am learning to be more content. So I've said this many times that I feel that flexible people are happy people. I say that on this show. I say that to people in my inner circle. I say it to my children. I used to say it in my clinical practice. One of my most important observations in the first 53 years of my life is to become more flexible in the way that I think. Whatever it is I'm saying dogmatically, take 80% of that out of there. And to be more fair and to be more open-minded and to let go of more and more things. One of my siblings is uh, headed into a divorce right now. I was the first one to get married. I was also the first one to get divorced. And and this sibling of mine, um, I won't put a name on him or her, <laughs> but this will be the third divorce out of eight of us. All eight of us got married and this will be the third divorce. And it probably won't be the last one if I take a, a look at all of it. Um, but I, I was talking to my sibling about what is ahead. Um, I said, you know, there's a massive amount of growth and learning that I did as a result of the hard times that I went through going through my divorce and afterwards. And my big key learning, if I could put you hundred miles down the track and help you avoid a lot of suffering is to let go, let go of lots of things, let go of lots of things that you thought were important. If you can identify that maybe they weren't as important as you thought. I told my sibling, I have let go of stuff that, that 15 years ago, I could not have imagined, um, not being controlling about. And they all seem like good things. That's the crazy thing is they all seem like things that you are concerned about. If you're a quality person, if you're a quality, uh, parent. And so, I don't think that by, by letting go of more and more things, it's not that I don't care about my children's choices and it's not that I'm less involved and it doesn't mean that I'm not speaking up about things that matter to me. I'm not an apathetic person because I try to learn to be less attached to specific outcomes, but it helps me communicate from a less sort of white knuckle-ish way, right? And it helps me guide and advise my children in a different way. Um, by letting go, 
of control and by letting go of specific outcomes that I think I want with my children, because I've learned over and over again, if I let go, a lot of times the place that they land is better than what I, where I would have put them is better than the, the outcome that I had, that I had hung on to. So now I might guide my children a lot more by asking them meaningful questions instead of giving them unsolicited advice. A lot of people think that you go to a therapist for advice, but good therapists don't give advice, right? They, they don't. They know this important truth, and that is that people don't take advice. You know, even if they say, hey, I need some advice, they're not really looking for advice because they want to make the decisions about their own life. But what, what we do go to a therapist for is some mind expansion, is from some outside perspective. So I've headed into a quieter phase in my life. There's a lot less change. There's going to be more settling in. Um, I do not plan to move from this house anytime, probably ever, but definitely not in the next 10 years. I want to cultivate more contentment. Um, my life's a lot quieter because, you know, five to 10 years ago, I was on speaking tour. I was doing between 50 and 80 cities a year. I went out twice a month to do several cities. Boom, 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 boom. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, fly home Sunday. I did that twice a month for six years. And so that's not what I've chosen for my life in this current stage. And so I now want to find contentment in this much quieter life that I've chosen. One time I mentioned the U-curve of happiness, but if you haven't gone to see it, and especially if you're around age 50, if you're in your 40s or 50s, especially go check this out. Look up the U-curve of happiness, like letter U, okay? U-curve of happiness in the Atlantic. So you might just Google Atlantic U-curve of happiness, but go read about why people in their 50s are in, in a lot of different studies, just pretty much categorically more happy than people in their 40s. I'm not saying that every single person who's in their 50s is happier than every single person in their 40s. But I'm saying categorically in terms of every study of primates, animals that are similar to us, and humans shows that in our 50s or the equivalent of that for animal species, uh, we become more content. We become more content with our flaws. We become more content with the fact that maybe not everybody likes us. We become more content with the choices that other people around us, like our, our spouse or our children are making. Because the more content we are, you know, the other way to consider it is the much less likely we are to spend time in those seven deadly sins is one way that you might look at them. I'd study that when I was an English major uh, undergrad. Um, and I don't remember what all the seven deadly sins are, but but they are also, you know, these these constants in the human experience and they take us to low places and they don't, they don't really serve anything. And I'm talking about, um, Buddhism says that greed and anger and comparing to others are the enemies of contentment. So check yourself in your thought patterns. Are you comparing yourself to a sibling of yours whose spouse makes a lot of money or, a sibling of yours that has been more successful than, than you have been, uh, has a bigger house than you have been. This is, this just isn't a useful, um, this isn't a useful way to guide our lives. Right. And, it, and it's, we're always going to lose when we start the comparing game. Anger, anger takes your 180 degree, 
um, visual down to a tunnel. When you're angry, you can only see one or two options where there might be 20 options and it increases our blood pressure and it takes us out of the ability to feel love and compassion. And then greed, greed, of course, I don't think anybody would say I'm a greedy person, but, but take a look how many, how much of your time you might spend wanting things or feeling self-pity that you can't purchase this, this, or this because somebody else in your life owns that, that thing. So I I think besides the fact that I said that my observation as a psychotherapist and as a human has been that happy people are flexible people, but um, happy people are also content. They're content with what they have. And that doesn't mean that they don't work hard. Lots of reasons to work hard, right? The only reason to work hard isn't just to get ahead, to climb a corporate ladder, to make more money. There are lots of reasons to work that are much more rewarding than that. So things you can do if you want to become over time a much more contented person is catch yourself if you're feeling greed, if you're if you're finding yourself thinking a lot about material things that you want, but you, you feel like you can't have. Um, just as an example, if any of these negative vibration emotions that we've been talking about are creeping into your consciousness more than you would like them to, let's talk about a few things you can do. Number one, this is so simple. It's so basic. We could say it on every single episode and it wouldn't be too many times. Take six long, deep breaths. And after you get to the very top and you can't take any more air, then exhale just as deeply. When you get to the bottom of the breath, push out a little bit more. And if you only have time to take two breaths, because you need to move on mentally to whatever the next thing is you're going to do that day, then take two breaths. I saw a quote once, I've never been able to find who said it, but it really is true. Take note, and, and as you practice mindfulness, you become more aware of how you feel in any given moment and how the choices you make make you feel um, more positively or more negatively. But this quote is, breath turns fear to excitement. And I've put that to the test so many times, and it's so true. I can be feeling anxiety, and I take a few deep breaths, and all of a sudden that fear has been transformed. Other strategies, you can do tapping. And this episode is not a little tutorial on tapping, but in my book, Vibe, there is like the shortest possible um, tutorial on how to do tapping. I mean, there are people who do whole summits on it. There's the tapping summit. You can read whole books on it, but it's actually very, very simple. You're just tapping on the acupressure points and saying, even though I have this fill in the blank anxiety, let's say anxiety, even though I have this anxiety, I completely and deeply love and accept myself. And it's really very, very easy. And I've done it in very stressful situations and it works and it probably just works to help get you centered again, just like focusing on your breath does. Um, any kind of self-care, whether it's getting a massage or um, if you have a sauna, my sauna always works. It always works to help me get grounded, come down to earth, be peaceful, accept my circumstances, which not only aren't perfect right now, but they won't be perfect tomorrow or next year or ever. So I might as well become more content with circumstances that I may consider to be less than perfect. 
If you haven't read my book, Vibe, make sure if you get it, if you only read one section, read the the several pages that are called 90 Seconds to Metabolize, Reframe, and Release Any Negative Emotion. Discovering that and developing that little 90 second awareness and exercise was totally life-changing for me. And now it doesn't take me 90 seconds. Now it's literally like muscle memory. It's like my backhand ground stroke is in tennis. I don't have to think about my backhand ground stroke. It's beautiful. It's it's technically quite excellent. It's not always perfect, but it's pretty darn close. That's how the 90 seconds to metabolize, reframe, release any negative emotion is for me. I find that negative emotion coming in and I can just speed through the steps and come out completely peaceful on the other side of it. So um, it was episode five of this podcast. If you don't want to read the book vibe, at least go to episode five of this podcast where I, I dive into just that one little hack, which is so useful. Um, I'm not the greatest at spending an hour a day meditating or not even 20 minutes a day. Um, I sort of get that work done in a few minutes. A few minutes goes a long way for me. And it just reminds me that I can always get centered. I, I can always go back to being the space and being the awareness and not over attaching to emotions or fleeting, uncomfortable feelings in various parts of my body and in, and in my mind. So that meditation and mindfulness, I'm going to be seeking out more on that. Um, we're going to do more with that in the coming year. Um, some of these more metaphysical things that isn't just, you know, nutrition and how to eat all the time. There's so much more. So we have so many more places to go here on the vibe show. So I've just really benefited in my life by learning to identify how I'm feeling quickly, ask myself what's below that, What needs to be addressed? Do I need to go fix something? Do I need to go have a conversation with someone to be feeling right again? So I'm really grateful for the increased awarenesses that have allowed me to do sort of a short circuited 90 seconds to right myself emotionally. I mean, I've come so far. I remember in my twenties finding out I bought a rental property. I'd never owned one before. You know, it was all of our savings. We don't have very much savings, a couple thousand dollars, put all our savings into it. Um, we couldn't even like qualify for like an FHA loan. This property was very old. It was like a hundred year old house, but it was a fourplex and I was so excited to own it. I was also a brand new mom. And I found out after I had owned the place for a few months, I found out, oh my gosh, I think it's a fourplex illegally. And I spent one year losing sleep. I would lie awake in bed at night and fret. I would fret about the worst case scenario. And I would imagine that the city of Provo, where I had bought that house, was going to come in and kick my tenants out. And that I would never be able to sell the house for as much as I had paid for it. And that I had made a huge financial mistake and it was just going to tank my family financially. I mean, you, you familiar with this? Have you ever had anxiety like that? Here's a crazy thing. After a year of fretting, I had the idea to call Provo City. And not tell them my address or who I was, but just say, hey, so I bought this house and it was built in the 1890s and it was made into a a fourplex in, I think, like the late 50s, early 60s. And the person on the other end of the line literally interrupted me and said, oh yeah, we grandfathered all those properties in. We, We grandfathered them in and you're totally legal. Now, if people did it after, you know, we got more serious about zoning and, and, uh, you know, whatever it is. 
Um, I'm not a city planner, but basically in one five minute phone conversation, I removed the source of this stress. And every time I have that experience where I'm stressing out about something and I'm horribleizing, and then I'm going to that worst case scenario, I stop and I ask myself, wait a minute, how often does the worst case scenario really happen in my life? I'll tell you what, it's less than 1% of the time that the worst case scenario really happens. Like think about every time you have some physical symptom and you're like, oh my gosh, I have cancer. Okay, well, here's the thing. There's less than a 1% chance that whatever symptom it is, is actually cancer. So that's another, you know, sort of life hack that I've had to develop. And maybe you're not as anxiety prone as I am. Maybe you've not laid there as a child or as a teenager, as a young adult, like I used to, and worry about something really, you know, not useful all night long. I would sometimes worry about something. Usually I'd jump from worrying about this to worrying about that to, you know, by the, by the time, you know, the sun came up in the morning, I'd probably worried about most of the world's problems. But I discovered that I can interrupt that and just remind myself, hey, my worst case scenario almost never happens. And with some actions that I take or some different attitudes or some different ways of interacting with, let's say it's a person and your relationship with a person that you're fretting about with some different actions than my default, I might be able to make that worst case scenario much, much better. After a year of stressing out about it, literally losing hours of sleep, because you know how worries just get worse late at night, right? And I had a lot of health issues I needed to address where I don't have the sleep issues and the anxiety in the middle of the night issues I did before. And a lot of it's just becoming content with stress. Like, hey, stressful stuff is going on in my work at any given time. There are always big problems to solve. I mean, I have almost 40 employees now. You know, I didn't go to school for how to manage 40 employees that are doing 60 different activities in any given week. Um, you know, we have a lot going on and I sleep better than I ever did before. And that's because you can't always control your circumstances. There may be stressful things, but I have learned to defer worrying. Okay. I'll let myself worry for 15 minutes a day and not more. If it's not time to worry, I do not let worrying hijack my calm, peaceful, high vibration. And by the way, just so you know, even though I'm telling you things that work for me, I don't want you to think that I'm perfect at this. But wow, I think about my quality of life when I was in my 20s and I had no control over my contentment because I had not figured out these self-awarenesses. It's truly, the, all these things are so subtle. They're very subtle, but very, very important. I used to think that when I first encountered it, that that Buddhist principle of non-attachment meant that, that if I really embrace non-attachment, you know, like the, the Buddha taught, then that would mean that I wouldn't care anymore about my relationships or other people and I wouldn't invest in them. And that's not it. As, as I learned more and more about practicing non-attachment, it's helped me with raising teen and young adult children. What it really is, is that we accept completely that we cannot change a lot of things, but one of them being, we can't change other people. We can't change their minds, their opinions. 
and we can't always change our circumstances. And we choose to love those people who are going to make choices that we don't, wouldn't be what we would have done. We love them and we're peaceful with them anyway. We let it go. We choose to be at peace. I'm going to do a podcast episode soon about what I learned starting November 29th of last year when I had a very crazy, very intense few weeks as 400 pharma trolls attacked me first on my personal page and then on my public figure page and then on everywhere I am on social media. They basically attacked my whole career, my book uh, reviews on Amazon, just absolutely everything this podcast. And I'm going to tell you um, how I came out of that and feel like I took the high road on that and am a better person for it. And I learned a lot and I'm grateful for what I learned. So I'll do a different episode on that. It's a pretty interesting story. So I don't know about you, but I think it's a very worthwhile goal to find more contentment in our lives. Anytime that we find ourselves in greed or anger or comparing to others, or criticizing our partner, for instance, but criticizing other people, taking a minute to feel gratitude is probably the biggest thing that I can share with you. This is how I am able to be totally content and totally in love in my current relationship. If he walked away tomorrow, I would be deeply grateful for the opportunity to feel so loved for a few years. But here's the difference between me now in my 50s and me in my 20s, if I catch my mind wandering into criticism of him, I stop my mind. How exciting is it that I can stop my mind from that optional activity? And it is an optional activity to let myself spool out and start compounding my story of what's wrong with him. And instead, I interrupt that and I sit there and I marinate in. I create in my own mind a feeling of awe that in midlife, I found a man that will do the green smoothie girl detox with me. He makes it fun for me. He makes it a group activity that I found a guy who will hike with me and bike with me and go to hot yoga with me and get in the sauna with me. He doesn't play tennis, but he comes to watch me and cheer for me and enjoy me and my team and talk with me about my tennis game. I found a guy who's perfectly content to just sit by a pool or the beach and just read books and do nothing for days on end on vacation. I mean, this is a small thing, right? I'm choosing these small things to feel awe about how lucky I am in midlife to find somebody that's so simpatico with me and somebody who can go deep, deep, deep in a conversation as deep as I want and will listen and has something to say on any topic somebody who lets me be me, somebody who's really fun. We have so much fun together. You see what I'm doing here? Okay. I'm just spooling out and riffing here, but did you see what I just did there and what it's possible to do if you know how to tap back into the higher vibrations? Oops. I just caught myself thinking I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to give you critical thoughts that I have of John because I'm not going to put energy on that. But of course I have them. Of course I have them. And, and anyone who's ever been been married or been in a long partnership has had them. But you see what I did there? I stopped and I started cataloging in my mind and I went into this place of gratitude that was, that's so uplifting to me. I do this all the time. 
And this is not a mental discipline that I had when I was in my 20s and married. Okay, first of all, I don't know that it's a great idea for anybody to get married at 20 like I did. But I just I just really wish I did. I wish I had had those skills when I was in my 20s. I'm not saying that that would have kept us together. I'm just saying that it would have created a lot more peace and happiness and love and joy in my early years if I'd if I'd had these skills. So I've really just scratched the surface of ways that we can achieve more contentment. If you're still on here at the end of this, I imagine that you think that's a good goal. Maybe you're looking for more contentment in your life as well. So you want to do it with me in 2020. I will be your spirit accountability buddy and I'll see you next time. 